If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is The Art of Awesome, show number 60. Like 88% is the sweet spot. <laughs> it's like, and, and everyone's always like, I gave 110%. And I'm like, yeah, mentally, I was there, 110%. But physically, I've got to just be a bit under as well. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay, now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Welcome to The Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to The Art of Awesome. I am your host, Nick Troutman, and this is the show where we search for that secret sauce to success and the difference between the average and the awesome. Today is Monday, so we have another amazing deep dive interview for you guys with a truly incredible guest and a dominating force in the slalom kayak scene Jessica Fox. Jessica actually comes from a legendary um, family in the slalom kayaking scene with her father, Richard Fox, being five-time world champion and, and kind of dominating for over 10 years. Her mom is two-time world champion, bronze medalist at the Olympics, and both of them just have a prolific career in their own rights. But Jessica herself is one of the most winningest athletes in all of slalom kayak history, at least in the world championships. She's got over 15 world champion medals and seven world titles herself as she's moving on to Tokyo and the 2021 Olympics for her third Olympic Games uh, this coming summer. We talk all about that. We talk about how going into the Olympics here in Tokyo 2021, how it's going to be different, how COVID is going to affect the whole thing, and how this experience is likely to be very different to her previous two Olympics, both in London and in Rio. Uh, we talk a lot about the mindset that she has getting into racing, kind of how she grew up in the family and that legendary family that she grew up in, and having her parents being her coach. So a lot of very cool uh, insights that she gives, and this is just just a, an amazing conversation and interview that I'm very much excited to share with you guys. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Here is Jessica Fox. Well, first off, Jess, thank you so very much for joining me and welcome to the Art of Awesome podcast. Thanks for having me. It's nice to chat. Yeah, this is awesome. So 
you are a truly dominating force uh, in the slalom kayak scene. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've won 15 world championship medals and you're, I think, the winningest athlete in the world champion history, or at least in, in slalom kayaking, if not all of kayaking. And I don't even know if it's, if that, if that spreads beyond all world champions, I'm not sure how that goes into swimming and different things like that. But, um, you also grew up in this really unique environment with like a world champion family. Your, your dad is five time world champion. Your mom's two time world champion. Kind of how was that growing up and like were you just like forced into this like slalom kayaking scene or how did you get into kayaking like I mean what are the family dynamics there yeah I guess um in in paddling in general there's it's it is a bit of a family sport for a lot of people I know in in um you know for you for, for the Jacksons that's an example as well um for me obviously both parents being in slalom and then you know well my mom had me and then went back to train and to compete and compete at the 96 Olympics. So I kind of grew up on the riverbank. Um, but then when we were sort of old enough, my sister and I, to get into sports, it was kind of expected that we would try paddling and just learn the basics so that it could be a fun family activity that we did together. And the kayaks always came with us on holidays. You know, we'd always end up at a lake or, a, or by the beach and the kayaks would come with us. So it was kind of something we didn't love at first. M me personally, I didn't like the flat water. I found it really boring. My dad was always trying to teach me the drills and I was like, Ugh, let's, I just want to read my book or go play. And <laughs> Um, but I was always very competitive and a keen swimmer, um, gymnastics. And when I broke my arm doing gymnastics, my physio suggested that I get into kayaking a little bit more for the rehab side of things. And I was about 11, I think, at that stage. And it was the age where I could go on the whitewater in Penrith, where we've got the artificial course. Yep. So... The timing was sort of uh, in my favor in that it was also the year the world championships for slalom were in Penrith. So seeing, you know, Robin Bell win a gold medal there and the greats like Tony Estonge and Mardikin race out there as well. So I kind of had a few stars align and, and decided to give it a good crack. And I loved the whitewater and just, yeah, the challenge of, you know, overcoming your fear of that first live roll or, you know, surfing a stopper for the first time. Um, and then I just loved the competitive side of things I love the competition and did did well in the first few times and I think that probably helped you know to to get the motivation going to to keep turning up so yeah my parents ended up coaches and when I was um I guess old enough and good enough I integrated the Australian system and mum is now my coach so now we're here <laughs> that's that's super cool have you ever asked your dad if he like paid the physio to to like tell him like oh no she needs to kayak now that she's 11 and it's gonna help somehow no but he's actually still my physio his name's tony and he was the the physio for the the team at the time the slalom team so you know he's probably biased you know he was thinking well it'd be good rehab and um you know, she, she could be good at it. Who knows? Yeah. So he, he's definitely joked that my success is because he encouraged me to get into it after my broken arm. That's super cool. <clears throat> and having, so having your mom as your coach, does your dad coach then as well? Or is it like mainly your mom or kind of what's the, what's the different styles between coaching between your parents? Yeah, they're very different in terms of their style. Um, I think 
it's been amazing to have both of the their input throughout my career. My dad, I did a lot of work with my dad when I was younger, especially around the technique on the flat water. And when I was, um, you know, before and after school, we would go on the flat water and do some some drills together. And he really pushed the good technique from the very start, which helped then my white water skills. And mum has sort of taken the lead around the technical and, and the day-to-day training, but I still kind of look to dad for some um, guidance around, you know, if, if, if I think a move should be done a certain way and mum disagrees, then I'll go to dad and he's kind of the mediator. <laughs> That's um, awesome. So everyone's involved, you know, my sister as well. She's, she's, she's a paddler too and, and my training partner and a competitor. So um, it is really nice to be able to share that with the family. I think mum being my coach, it's not for everyone. I don't think everyone could have their parent as a coach, but our person, personalities really gel well. And I think that she knows me the best out of anyone and knows how to push me to give my best or snap me out of a bad session. Or um, Yeah, I think that's probably one of my advantages is that she knows me the best to get the best out of me. That's super cool. So I'm, obviously as your coach, she's like helping and and I, I would imagine being that she's, you know, two-time world champion, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think she's two-time world champion and bronze, yeah, yeah. bronze medalist as well in the Olympics. Yeah. Like she knows the, the psychology and, and probably a lot of like what you're going through and, and kind of maybe is able to help kind of relate, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just relate the mental side of, of kind of sports beyond just the physical side. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah, and I think that's where um, I've maybe – really worked on in my career is that mental side the mental toughness the, the 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 things you work on every day at training that mean that you get to the start line of a race and you're confident you've done everything you can and now it's just having the confidence to get out there and do what you know how to do and I think dad you know was someone who was well recognized in the slalom community winning five world titles and back then they were every two years so over 10 years you know he was a dominant figure and yeah. um the mental, I, I guess the mental side is what people often talk about with my dad as well. So I'd like to think that I got a little bit of both my mum and my dad and the best of both. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think the biggest part is the enjoyment out there. We always make our sessions enjoyable and fun. And yeah, there's a lot of hard work and sometimes there's tears and um, we clash, but I think there's always an element of enjoyment and that's the beauty of our sport, you know, whatever, whether it's slalom or um, out on the big white water or in a freestyle boat, I think everyone loves that element. A hundred percent. When when you're talking about your hard work and stuff like that, can you, can you kind of just run us through a little bit of, and for anybody listening and doesn't know about Jess, you're, you're on the route to the Olympics, um, which were supposed to happen last year and now it's kind of a long route (laughs) yeah yeah it's been delayed but it's coming i mean the olympic committee is anyway they're um everybody's optimistic that it's it's happening in in july this year Uh, i think it's july right yeah yeah okay and um kind of what goes into the physical training diet kind of all that stuff as an olympic athlete at your caliber yeah i guess um being our sport is the thing I love about it is that it's always different and that variety means that every training day is a little bit different on the water it's not like you're swimming laps up and down a pool and you know you've got to hit certain numbers and that's how you get your best for us there's a physical component you know we work on that in the gym I do probably two to three sessions in the gym Um, and then the physical side will have probably one 
loops session where we do, you know, as many laps as possible in that hour, hour and a half time that we get. Um, and that's really working on the aerobic base. And then we'll also do a lot of technical work. So um, that's where we practice different skills and work on different stroke combinations and different moves that we could do on different features and different gait combinations. So we never know what the course is going to be before a race. So you kind of try different gait combinations and different moves that could come up in a race. Yep. And you've got to be, you know, adding to your toolbox that you know you can do any gait combination out there. Uh, so there's a big technical focus. Um, and I do two events. So I do the kayak and the canoe. So I've got to kind of split my time between both and make sure I'm working them equally now that they're both Olympic events. Um, so yeah, we do five to six sessions on the whitewater and then some flat water gym cross training, like running, or I do Pilates and yoga as well. Yeah. So, so are you, would you say that the majority of your training then is on water? Uh, yeah, I'd say the majority is on water. We'd love to be able to do more than we do, but we're very restrained in that we're on an artificial course and they give us, you know, an hour to an hour and a half a day. And we've got to just smash out as much as we can in that time and make the most of it. Um, and then the rest is a bit of flat water work for the physical side of things. But really when we're on the white water, we try and just, yeah, get as much technical um, stuff as we can. And in Australia, unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of, you know, white water abundance everywhere. You know, we, we have to drive a long way to get good white water and it has to rain the right amount and everything. So, um, yeah, Olympic um, slalom is mainly on artificial courses. So we train mostly on artificial courses. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And and the course there in, in Penrith is an awesome course for that. It, they had the, it was the Olympic course back in, I don't even remember. 2000. 2000 that's when it was. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah so it's over 20 years old. It's still holding on. Um, <laughs> and normally we get a lot of internationals come out here to train here and, and race here this in the summer. But this year with COVID, obviously it's, a bit dead and quiet um so it does feel a bit sad this year yeah how how has covid affected i mean obviously it affected in the sense that it delayed the whole or postponed the the olympic games themselves but how has it affected your training and i i, I saw like a um I don't know, a couple social posts that you put up this summer of you like doing some kind of interesting training, like in your boat, like pull-ups and push-ups and I don't know, just all sorts of cool stuff. But has it just, yeah, it, it kind of explain a little bit of how COVID has restricted you and, and you've kind of just adapt and uh, evolve to that. Yeah. I think in Australia, we've been fortunate that COVID did hit. Uh, we went into lockdown in, in March, but generally we've had very good, um, I could say very good life <laughs> because we we're not very restricted in our day-to-day -day activities you know we, we might have to wear masks to go to shopping centers and on public transport but we haven't been in lockdown or at least my state hasn't been in lockdown that much whereas some states you know victoria was in lockdown for six months of last year with very low case numbers compared to europe wow. um so generally we've been able to keep a day-to-day -day activity that's fairly normal um but we were impacted and i think we had i think i had almost two and a half months off the water in march april may time when they locked us down and yeah that's when i was trading in the backyard had the boats out was using it as weights for pull-ups was using it for push-ups got in the pool did some turns um, yeah, we got a bit creative and enjoyed that time at home to mix it up and do different things as well. And, and I think it was the novelty in 2020 of staying home and getting creative, but 
you know, for that to drag out the whole year, I think would have been quite um, painful and, and hard to stay motivated. And I know that's the case for some countries. So I do feel very fortunate that we've been able to train well. And um, I think the biggest thing for me was the variety and mixing it up. Like I'm used to going overseas in April and then staying overseas from June till October and training in different places. And the fact that Australia is kind of in the borders are closed meant that we didn't get that variety. So I did manage to get overseas in July to, to do a bit of training in Europe and some little competitions. And that was really important for me to keep the motivation and keep expanding my skills and stay motivated to, to get to Tokyo in 2021. So at the moment we're training normally. Um, we're hoping we get overseas for the world cups, but then our preparation into the Olympics is looking a bit different because we've got very strict quarantine requirements here. So, you know, we're figuring out, do we go overseas and stay overseas until the Olympics where it's a bit of an uncertain environment or do we come home and do two weeks of hotel quarantine, which means we don't train, but then we're home and we can train afterwards in the lead up to the game. So, yeah, I think there's positives and negatives to everyone's situation and we've just got to focus on what we can do. Right, 100%. What, what do you, so this coming up to Tokyo, this will be your, your third Olympics. Um, and yeah. you've already got a, a silver and a bronze. So you've, you've medaled the, the previous two in, in London and Rio, um, with COVID with maybe just your past experience, like what, what do you think is going to be different going into Tokyo? And, um, what are you kind of, do you have expectations or yeah, just, I mean, it's obviously going to be different in, in some regard. What, what are you kind of thinking? Yeah it's going to be different in every regard. I think um, I feel very fortunate that I got to experience, experience the London and Rio Olympics um, because I think what makes the Olympics the Olympics is also everything outside of the competition and not only the competition and the magnitude of the event and the crowds and the TV and all of that, but the village life, you know, going to see other events, being surrounded by the Olympic athletes is very um a very special experience. So I'm lucky I did get to experience that because Tokyo will be very different. We're expecting that we'll fly in five days before our event. Um, normally we're there two to three weeks before to train on the course. So this will be very much get in just five days before and then leave two days after wow. um, our event is finished. No other events, no you know socializing, no going out into the city. Um, it'll be very much you know village venue and competition and, that, and that's kind of it so I guess for me that's um I'm okay with that I'm very you know still driven and motivated and excited by the Olympics and I'm very performance driven and want to get there and do my best um but yeah it, it'll be very different obviously a lot of COVID tests in between um and quarantine on the way home so it's going to be a very different games for everyone, athletes, officials. Um, the good thing I think is that we'll probably get the most people watching on TV that we've ever had since we probably won't have many spectators in the stands. So I think if they pull it off, it'll still be an amazing achievement because a lot of people are skeptical about it going ahead. Um, and I'm crossing my fingers. Everything continues the way it is and we can get to the Olympics and that, you know, the world does improve in terms of the numbers and, everyone gets to compete. So we'll see. Awesome. Well, we will see, but uh, if it happens, we'll be watching over here and cheering you on for sure. 
Um, when, when you're kind of getting into, you know, whether it's a world championships or whether it's the Olympics or any, any major event, how do you kind of get into the right mental state? Are you listening to like music? Are you calming down? Are you getting pumped up? Kind of what's your like pre-race routine a little bit? I think I'm often, I'm kind of either two ways. I'm really excited and nervous and jittery and I need to just bring it down a bit or I'm really mellow and I need to like pump myself up. So I kind of have learned to figure out what works for when. Um, I think for the Olympics, it'll be more the nerves and excitement and, you know, trying to tone myself down a bit. So when it's like that, I just try and um, do a bit of stretching, listen to some mellow music and just sort of focus on the race plan, visualize my race run, um, talk to other people just to sort of distract myself a little bit. And then I have a pretty set routine of, you know, pre warm up activation where I do some, you know, jumps and stretching and dynamic movements and then a set warm up that I can kind of adapt to any course. Uh, and then, you know, you get onto the conveyor belt and you get to the start pool and it's, it's go time. So having, that routine of, you know, breath work and positive self-talk and visualization is really important. And I'm sure, you know, you've experienced it when you've got, I mean, I think for what we do, it's very different to when you're in a situation where if you don't get that booth right, you're going to be in trouble and you've got to be switched on and in the zone. For us, it's like you hit a gate, you hit a gate, you know, <laughs> you're not as fast as you should have been. So it's not life or death. Um, but getting into that zone of that flow state is really important to, to feel so effortless, to feel like, you know, you're using the water exactly like you should be. You're getting that natural speed and, and everything flows well. So that's always the goal is to get into that flow state. That's very cool. Are you going, are like when you're actually racing out there, are you going like at a hundred percent max out or do you kind of hold it back and, and kind of, I don't know, finesse it a little bit more or like kind of yeah. where's your, where's your line? Just like I, I know in, in the races that I've done in the past, I personally do better if I, just if under? I, yeah, no, just under. Yeah. If I go to a hundred percent, i I make mistakes. Yeah, it's like 88% is the sweet spot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and, and everyone's always like, I gave 110%. And I'm like, yeah, mentally I was there 110%, but physically I've got to just be a bit under as well because when I'm um, too maxed out, my strokes aren't as efficient. My body isn't, I, I'm too tense. And I think that affects, you know, the way the boat reacts and the way I get the gates. And also a good sign for me when I watch the video is if I'm, grimacing like if my face is quite calm composed i know i'm in the right sort of level of physical mental um exertion whereas if i'm really grimacing and like grunting i mean the, the finish line that that's except that's the exception but yeah. throughout the run and i know i'm probably a little bit over um so yeah for me it's a bit under just so that i know my strokes are efficient and that i've got the glide that i need and that i'm composed enough to be able to get them the gates right and sometimes you do need to you, you know put inject speed and inject power so you've got to have that buffer right i yeah i, I totally agree with with everything that you're saying and that's kind of been my experience too where yeah if I pull it down just a little bit, I have better technique, better strokes. But then also if something were to happen, whether I like hit a wave and it breaks over my bow or something, I've got that like almost reserve yeah. energy a little bit to like kick it back up if I need to. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 
And then, I mean, in the last five seconds, it can get ugly and you can go to 100%. That's okay. Oh, for sure. Like when you see the finish line and it's like right there, that's, yeah. that's the time to put it all on the line. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So this year going into um, the Olympics is also the first time that there's going to be K1 and C1 women's, um, which is yeah. super cool. The Olympics obviously are are pushing uh, really hard for, for gender equality, which I'm all for. And I think that's amazing. Though, from my understanding, you're competing in both categories, which I think is a first. I, has that ever happened to a slalom athlete before? I don't think any of the men or anybody that I'm aware of has ever competed okay. in in more than one discipline. I think there have been maybe I know some C1s competed in C2. Um, oh right, in okay, maybe London yeah. and maybe Rio as well. Um, but. Yeah, for the women, it'll be the first time that we have uh, the two events and that we'll have gender equality at the Olympics. So it is a big moment for all the girls who'll be lining up in that C1 event. Um, and yeah, I'm very excited about that, very proud of that because we've all worked really hard to get to that point. So it'll be very different for me this experience as well because I'm so used to just doing one event at the Olympics, at the two previous Olympics. Um, and it is quite a stretched out program at the Olympics. So I think it's going to be um, like three days of kayak and then three days of canoe. Whereas often in a world cup, we have three days of racing and we smash out both events right. in that time. So um, just having extra time will be something that we'll all have to get used to. But I think it's needed when you've got to, you know, recover well and, and switch off from one event and move on to the next. So yeah, I'm very excited about that and looking forward to being able to represent Australia and do both events. That's super cool. So um I think you just like have dominated the the women's C1 scene. I mean, you've dominated both, but C1 in particular, I I feel like you've extra dominated. Do you do you have a preference between the two of them, or do you like like one more than the other one, or I don't know. Which do you prefer? Because <laughs> 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 I think that one who's their favorite child. Oh, that's <laughs> you don't awesome. have to answer that one. Um, I think it just depends on the day for me. Like if. Some days I'm I'm in my kayak and I'm like, oh, this is sick. I'm like nailing everything. I can do sweep ups and it just feels so good to have two blades. And then other days I'm like, oh, I wish I was in the canoe because the bow is way lighter because I don't have my legs out in front. And Interesting. in the canoe, you know, I feel really smooth and I use the water a lot more, whereas kayak I'm kind of powering through a bit more because I have the two blades. So they're, they're different for me. I like them for different reasons. Um, and it just, yeah, depends on the day really. Sometimes um, I like them both. Sometimes I favor one over the other, but it is nice to have that balance. Um, I've, I mean, I've had it since I started really. I did canoe from 2009, 2010 competitively. So um, it's something I've always done. So I've enjoyed that. Do you think that you gain, um, I don't know, like an extra advantage in the other discipline because of one more than the other? Like, do, do you get more out of like training your kayak and then going into C1 and having that practice or more vice versa, like from training C1 and then using that in your kayak? I tend to do all the physical work in the kayak. So if I've got to do a hard flat water session, usually I'll jump in the kayak because I can go further and go faster and push harder as well, physically, lactic wise. Um, but I find that if I work in the canoe, um, when I get into the kayak, I'm really conscious of my edges a lot more and I try and use the water a lot more. And, and you know, I've noticed this year that I've, 
tried to implement the way I paddle and see one a bit more in the kayak in terms of my edges and the bl- the way I keep the blade in the water. So I think I definitely benefit from doing C1. And we've seen a lot of girls pick up the canoe and just do it for training because they feel like there is some benefit to just having one blade and having to figure it out and be more efficient with, with the strokes. That's super cool. No, I totally agree with that. And it makes perfect sense to me. And, and I've done C1 a little bit, um, like very poorly. Um, but, (laughs) but I felt the same thing where you're forced to just be, have better edge control and balance and all that kind of stuff. And essentially that's why I was asking in timing, like better stroke timing, like, cause you've got, you've only got that one stroke to do what you would do with two in a kayak. So you've got to be more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always am. Yeah, I'm I'm just like mind blown and amazed watching the C1 paddlers in the Olympics, in like extreme racing anywhere, because you guys just do such amazing skill work where I'm like, man, I I don't think I'd be able to do, <laughs> do that with just one paddle blade. That's crazy. I think in kayak, we get a bit lazy or maybe complacent is the right word. Just knowing that you've got that safety of the other blade to get you out of trouble or to um, power through something. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. What would be one of your, um, I don't know, best, best advice for like an up and coming athlete, especially like a, a, you know, a junior woman or something like that, that looks up to you and, you know, wants to kind of follow your footsteps. What advice would you have for a young athlete that wants to either pursue kayaking, pursue, uh, the Olympic dream, anything like that? Yeah, I think, um, to really be open-minded and try different, um, different things you know for for us I one thing I would have loved to do more of is more rivers more river running more I guess um creaking as well because I think that brings a lot to the way you paddle one of my teammates Kate Eckhart she's uh does a lot of big white water and I can just see the benefit in her paddling in slalom as well so when you're young I think that's the time to try different things to try kayak canoe try you know some river running I think it really builds your skills if you're in paddling um and then in terms of you know chasing the olympic dream um it's it's really hard in some sports especially ours when there's only one per country that can go to the olympics i think it's it's very cutthroat and it's more about that that journey to get there of of personal improvement and challenging yourself every day to to be the best athlete you can be and knowing that there's going to be average sessions and bad days but the consistency is what's important and something we always work on in, in our sessions is, you know, you could have a 50 minutes of average bad paddling, but if the last five, 10 minutes you learn something or you finish on a high note, then it's not a wasted session. You know, you've, you've done something good today that you can be proud of. So always trying to look for those positives, even on the bad day. That's awesome. I love that. It, with the Olympic dream and, and chasing that, you hear a lot of athletes that, that say, you know, I, there's four, four years of my life or maybe many more were like dedicated to this moment. The Olympics are done. And then they're kind of like lost of like, well, now what do you, have you thought much about that? Like, do you have like a vision of what your next three, five years looks like? Or is it kind of like, I'm just focused on Tokyo and who knows what's after that? Yeah. They call that like the Olympic blues. It's that post um, event sort of depression or lull where you've you've been building up to this moment and investing everything into it and then suddenly uh, you know it's that release of now what you know there's nothing as exciting or you know it's four years away and that I think something that a lot of athletes struggle with the postponement of these Olympics was that 
oh, we were so close. And now it's just been, you know, moved again. And for some athletes, they wanted to retire or, yeah, I think for me, I always try and look big picture. And I didn't feel those emotions with London or Rio because I knew I was coming, I was pushing on to Tokyo and I still had more that I was trying to achieve and improve. And um, I think for me, it's the constant learning and knowing that I feel like I have more to learn and more potential out there. So that constant challenge. And I see myself going on to Paris. So I think um, this year will be different as well in that we've got a world championships at the end of the year um, if it goes ahead. So that's kind of, you know, the Olympics will be done, but then there's another thing to look forward to or to train for and having a goal. But I also think it's important for athletes to have something else and to prepare for life after sport and that transition um, because, you know, we're not athletes forever and we're not NBA players earning millions either. So I think, you know, setting yourself up is important. Thinking about it, not necessarily investing and and spreading yourself too thin. But for me, you know, study is important or um, branching out and working with different brands and kind of getting an idea for where I might like to end up afterwards is important. Very, very cool. That's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you for all of your insight on, on the Olympics and everything. Uh, Jess, I'm, I'm going to move us on to the next section of the show that I call the fire round. But before we jump into our fire round, I just want to take a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozen of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects the seller with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 plus, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Fire round and just ask a, okay. a couple quick questions that I ask all of our guests. Jess, do you have a favorite quote that uh, you live by? Oh... That's a hard one. Um, I really love the the quote that's about rivers and it's like a river cuts through rock, not through sheer power, but persistence. And I think that kind of connects with us with what we do and, and life and just if you've got a goal and you, you're working towards something, knowing that, you know, a river makes its way through rock not because it's super powerful but because it's constantly pushing it's constantly gonna it's gonna get through that's amazing i actually haven't heard that quote before and i love it i don't know who said it I, that's amazing no it, it obviously uh it it touches me being that it's we're talking about water and and you know yeah. rivers but it's i totally agree 100 that persistence is i mean you can really Anything can happen if you just stick at it and just never give up. Very, very mm. cool. What would be one lesson that maybe you've learned recently, whether it's through um, failure or success? You're asking the big questions here. <laughs> um, I think, uh, sorry, can you repeat that? So what's a lesson that I've learned through failure or success? Yeah. 
I think the biggest one I've learned is learning to regulate your emotions and learning to um, switch off. So, you know, I've had a, a really bad race and the example I'll use is the 2017 um, World Championships where I was the favourite to win and I had plus six in penalties and I ended up fifth or sixth, I think, and I was devastated and I was out there to get my third consecutive world title and it was just like buckled under pressure. Um, being able to get over that, what felt devastating at the time and just disconnect and come back the next day and win that world title in the kayak is probably one of the biggest lessons I learned around regulating your emotions and coming down after a loss or a win. You know, even with the wins, you've got to come back down to and be grounded. So I think learning to regulate your emotions has been a big one in my career. And that might be through breath work or through journaling or whatever it is. But that's something that I think will help me throughout life as well, whatever the setback. Very, very cool. And and that, I mean, again, another great, great lesson. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, I've had very similar scenarios with, uh, with competing and, and with results and all that kind of stuff. And it, it can be very difficult to yeah. regulate those emotions. So that's, that's cool that you were able to do that between the two different disciplines. Um, do you have a favorite book or podcast or anything that, that, um, that either you've read or listened to that's kind of inspired you along the way? Um, I love reading, but I'm really bad at like being impacted and, and just remembering one book that I've loved. Um, <laughs> but I, I do love reading like athlete biographies or anything around mindset or, uh, you know, personal growth and different people's journeys and experiences. I think we can always learn from different people and people from outside your circle or your industry i think it's always important to be a sponge and open your mind and learn from take a bit from everyone so love books love podcasts i think i enjoyed um uh, michael gervais finding mastery podcast i mean it's you've got to have the time and sometimes i just skip a bit because there's a lot of a lot of talking sometimes but he he he's talked to a lot of people and i guess around mindset i do i am drawn to that to learn about how people perform um, under pressure or bring their best in scenarios that, you know, could be life or death. So um, what else? In Australia, there's a couple um, Seize the Yay podcast in Australia. Yeah. I. Sorry, Very I don't cool. have a specific no, one. No, no, that, that's great. Have you, have you ever read the book um, Thinking Body, Dancing Mind? No. No, it's, it's uh, a phenomenal book and it's all about um, – mindset uh within competing and and stuff like that and i was introduced to it actually from jason craig who read it right before he won the world championships and then i have um passed that on to many different athletes that have had great success either meddling or winning world championships afterwards great book uh highly would recommend i'll have to thinking body dancing dancing mind. mind yeah i recently read um Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard that one. That was interesting. Like I really liked the analogies around um, his experiences living with as a monk and sort of the Buddhist and all those philosophies and the different stories that they get lessons from. I enjoyed that too. Yeah, thinking I'll look into that one. Thinking body dancing mind is definitely like they they kind of pull the Eastern um, I don't know, Eastern philosophies, but 
but th- the whole thing is written around like sports psychology yeah. and and competing. It's anyway, it's it's a pretty cool book, and I I gained a lot from it. And I don't know, maybe you will or not, but uh, yeah, but check it out for sure. Thanks for the thanks for the tip. No worries. If um if today was your last day on Earth and everything that you've done here's another whopper for you but uh if, if today's your last day on earth and everything they've done all the events all the um the medals all the accolades everything would be erased and all you were left with is a piece of paper and a pen and you could leave three truths whether this is for your younger sister for friends maybe for uh younger athletes that are out there that look up to you all you can do is leave them three things that you believe to be true. What would those three things be? Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast where they asked a question similar to this, and I remember feeling stressed about, imagine if someone asked me this question, <laughs> what would I answer? <laughs> how, do you, how do you dilute it into just three truths? Um, I think I would keep it pretty simple, and I would say that... Um, just kindness, like just be kind, be patient and be like, be generous, be giving. So always, you know, show compassion and help if you can, Um, because that comes back to you as well. I believe I would say that if you have like a purpose or if you've got a, a bigger goal or vision that you can do, anything and you'll be you'll be fulfilled if you're willing to you know work hard and surround yourself with the right people so that sort of that purpose that why that vision um piece is probably important and yeah have fun like don't be too serious i don't know keep it simple i think we we sometimes get really bogged down with the details or with comparison or just like stay in your lane and and be inspired by others but yeah have fun and enjoy yourself as well i love that what the fact that you've said if it's your last day, I'm like, I need to have more fun today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I think that uh, just, I think you're having a lot of fun out there. It definitely looks like you're having fun. And this has been just an amazing uh, interview. Thank you so much for your time. Jess, one of the things that I like to do when I do these interviews is I try to add as much value as I can. So is there anything that you're focusing on that, that maybe I could personally help with or possibly my listeners? Yeah, well, I guess now that we were on the topic of like mindset and what's your routine to, if you've got, um, if you're running a river or you're doing a competition and it's big white water and you feel, I'm assuming you feel fear still because oh, yeah. like it's what you guys do. It blows my mind. What, how do you get into that? Like, do you guys visualize, do you just run with it? Is there a gut feeling that makes you pull out at the last second? Like what's your process? Uh, so if we're talking mainly like big water or, or in a kind of more life or death scenario and like versus maybe like a freestyle, like they're, they're definitely yeah. very different mindsets for yeah. me. But in, I, when I hear that question like that, I'm thinking like North Fork championships or just yeah. like, you know, something really pretty, pretty big and consequential. Um, no question that I do a lot of visualization and I mean, I'll spend a long time visualizing and that happens both when I'm just like river river running as well, running waterfalls or anything like that. Like I have to see it very clearly in my mind, the whole line and envision, mm. you know, doing it. And um, if, if I start 
like envisioning and, and having this mindset of like, you know, bad lines, then I, th- that to me is usually a gut instinct of like, ah, maybe today is a good time to walk. Or maybe I'm just like, yeah. I'm not feeling it for me today. And I just now after years of experience and maybe not, you know, listening to my gut instinct earlier on, but knowing that I have to kind of trust that gut in- instinct as well. Um, yeah. And then also just kind of being willing to go with the moment. And um, again, for me, when there's kind of more consequential, you know, rapids or waterfalls or anything like that, I'm kind of probably drawn more into what can be a flow state, but I'm only doing that if I kind of just like let go and and tell myself like, okay, I've got this experience. I, I know what I'm doing. I now envision the line clear enough that that I know that I can make this like 99% of the time, or at least that's how I'm feeling it, like that confident. Um, then I just kind of just drop in and, and I try to really relax and just like let go into the moment. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And the yeah. relax me. Yeah. So that, that's just me personally. I don't know if other people like I've actually, I was at a race once uh, and Pat Keller was at this, the start and he was like, let's get pumped up. Like, here we go. And I was just thinking like, dude, I'm trying to chill out like i'm just like it was just such <laughs> just let a, me meditate for five seconds <laughs> yeah exactly such a different mindset um yeah. but but yeah for me personally I, i've got to kind of like calm down i find that if i get too pumped up i get anxious and when i'm anxious is when i'm like pushing that like 100 percent. when really mm. i, I got to pull it back to like like what you were saying maybe like an 80 percent or something yeah and what about like if you because we get this in slalom in that you know if you make a mistake on gate one and I've hit gate one so many times in my career and then gone on to do a really good run. But if I've hit like gate 10, sometimes my focus kind of drifts a bit and then I might snowball and make other mistakes. So do you ever find that, you know, if you make a mistake, then you kind of accumulate them and how do you not let that happen? Like how do you stay present and go, okay, yep, yeah, that wasn't the right line. I've got to really fight to get back online or I'm, I've got this. Yeah, that, no, that's a great question. Um, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is uh, the rapid, like it, it's not numbered as well it is, as it is with the gates. Yeah. So it's a little bit harder, but um, usually if I make a mistake, I'm quick and, and it, there's no question that anxiety quickly builds where it's like, oh, you got to get back. Like now we're yeah. offline. We're like trying to make up time, trying to like, I don't know. it. Mm-hmm. It's harder for sure. And I would say no matter what, when I make mistakes, even if I finish and it's great, it's usually not the same as like when it was just obviously like a clean line. And I would, I'm, I would imagine yeah. it's the same when you're racing and you've just got a perfectly clean run, you know, you're, yeah. you feel pumped and it's different than if you were to hit gate one, even if you had to come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a lot of the same thing where you're just like, you're almost focused on like just getting back, finishing and, and kind of focusing harder maybe a little bit more um yeah i think well the consequences are more severe for you guys so i think you've kind of got to be like focused to just carry on but finish it right right and and i think that's you're 100 percent correct that the higher the consequence the quicker it is to to like i mean i don't know for me anyway if it's like if i'm about to go into a, a sieve or an undercut or something like that yeah. there is no like being lazy there's no like oh i can't believe i screwed up it's like no you know, get over it, yeah. like get it, get out of there, get back online. Cause you know, things are going to go bad if, if not, but, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, a little bit different. Yeah. Mm. 
No, it's always cool to compare. Like, because we do a similar sport, but it's not exactly the same sport. Like the 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 mental side, we can always learn from other people. It's always cool. No, it's very cool. And, and I've done like a little bit of slalom, um, but it's not, I mean, I, I wouldn't even really say what I do slalom. I've, I've paddled a slalom boat and I've raced some <laughs> slalom races, but... People, and you do slalom. That's yeah, all it is. Yeah, it is. But people are always like, wow, dude, you're, you did, you were fast. Like, but man, your technique <laughs> is horrible. Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. I got to work on that. Anyway, it's super fun. Um, and huge respect to just the, the skill that you guys have and the power and watching you out there. Um, before, before this podcast, I watched a whole bunch of your runs, and I think it was the twenty or two thousand nineteen um, your your winning run there, maybe that I was watching, and yeah. it was just like blowing me away with the, just the tight lines, the in and out of those upstreams and stuff yeah. like that. It's yeah, you you guys all have some amazing skill that I think you know I would I would wish that I could one one time in my life just have some sort of like boat control to to be able to pull some of that <laughs> stuff off. So. Mad respect for that. And uh, thank you so very much. Oh, well, well, thank you. But um, thanks so much for your time and your insight. And I wish you huge success uh, going into Tokyo and the 21 Olympics and the world championships this fall as well. Um, So thank you. And thanks for sharing all that stuff and just kind of giving us a little bit of insight into your training, into your experience and all that stuff. And for all my listeners out there, Please, if you guys got some value out of this, because I myself personally did, I'm sure that you guys did. If you guys could share this out with one person that also might want to uh, just hear about Jess's story, um, gain some some insight, some knowledge, and yeah, just learn from it. Um, share this out with one friend. That's all I'm asking. Share it out with one person, whether you throw it up on your social media, text it to a friend, anything like that. I would greatly appreciate it. And also tune into the Olympics and let's all uh, cheer Jess on out there because we're not going to be there in person. So we'll we'll be watching (laughs) and and rooting from... From social media, I guess. Um, but Bring yeah, the TV. <laughs> exactly. We we wish you the best and all the success out there. I'm Nick Troutman signing off. Wishing you guys all an awesome day. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.